Hey, will you stand with me? We're going to look at our verses today from 2 Samuel uh, 15, verse uh, 10 through 14, and, and then Psalm 3. So I want to give you a little background before we dive into these verses. Um, this, at this point in David's life, David's son, Absalom, is rebelling against him. And, and he's trying to actually take the throne of Israel from David. He's, he's gone out and he's gone into this, this pattern of undermining David's rule and trying to steal the people's hearts away from David and, and get them to follow after him. And, and this, this pattern, he's been engaged in this for a little while. Well, it's all coming to a head in these verses in 2 Samuel 15 because Absalom is moving from plotting to actual outright insurrection in these verses. And so in this text, he's actually getting ready to invade Israel and steal the throne from David. And so that's where we begin in, in verse 10 in 2 Samuel 15. So, but Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Father, we thank you today that we can look into this time in David's life where he was overwhelmed with fear, fear that he would lose his throne and even his life. And God, we praise you that his heart that sought after you gives us a pattern, a way to respond in our own fear. And so we just ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word and help us see how we can place our fear in you and live from the inside out today. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we're wrapping up this series we've been talking about inside out, and we've been looking at different events in David's life, and then looking at the Psalms that are kind of his emotional response to that, and exploring how David responded to different emotions that came up in these different situations in his life. And our purpose has really been just to see how loving God passionately actually redeems our emotions, helps us live from the inside out, out of our identity as God's beloved in Christ, instead of from the outside in, tossed back and forth by every wave, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. And life just becomes a raging sea when our internal space is controlled by the circumstances outside of us. And we've looked at the emotions of feeling attacked, and we've looked at guilt, and we've looked at regret, and those are all common emotions to the human experience. None of us can say we've never felt attacked and we've never felt guilt and we've never felt regret. Today, we're gonna to look at what is probably the most common human emotion and it's fear. We all suffer from fear at times. None of us are immune to it. It happens, it comes at us, it rises up in us. 
And because it's a common experience of life, I feel like I need to set some context and framework for this. Because the word fear, as common as it is, puts us in a position to define it in our own terms. And when we have words that are very common and we define them in our own terms, then there's a greater chance for misunderstanding. Because when I say the word fear, you hear your definition of fear. So I want to put it in context a little bit today because I don't want any misunderstanding. And so what I want to do is I want to give us a practical definition of fear. This is just my definition. So I know it's not a complete definition, but I think it's actually really helpful from the standpoint of living in God's kingdom here and now. I think this is a very worthwhile definition if our desire is to live in God's kingdom. And so here's my definition of fear. Fear is the belief that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart is in control of me. So for my purposes, I would view fear in a practical sense as the belief that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart actually has control over me. And so from a practical sense, we experience fear when in any given situation, we believe that we are controlled by forces that seek to harm us. Is that a fairly decent definition of fear? When something's coming at me that wants to harm me that I can't control, I will be afraid. And now, from the standpoint of human experience, there's really just two common responses to fear. It's irrational paralysis or irrational control. Think about it in your own life. When you feel intense fear, we either become irrationally paralyzed or we become irrationally controlling, trying to make everything happen. And so fear drives us into these irrational responses that oftentimes become destructive. And here's why. Because when I'm at a place of not being able to make decisions or take actions, guess what happens? Situations actually get worse. So think of it this way. Some of us have been there. Your check engine light comes on in your car and you ignore it because you're afraid of what the price might be to repair it. You're afraid of the mechanic saying it's something serious. Some people I know have even put electrical tape over their check engine light. Because, you know, if I don't know it, everything's fine. I've stood and, and literally thought over my car before, man, wouldn't it be awesome if cars were like people and they just healed themselves? If I could just leave it in the driveway for a few days and, and this, this, this heating core will repair itself without the $800 that the mechanic needs. And then here's what happens. So we get afraid of what it's going to look like to get this fixed and we just ignore it irrational paralysis, and then the engine blows up, and we're in a worse spot. Or sometimes fear is going to push us into irrational control. If I'm not in full control of everything, then I am not safe. And so we become exhausted because we try to micromanage every situation. We try to control everything, even the things that literally we cannot control. We try to control and so when that happens in fear, what that starts to look like is obsessive compulsive behaviors. Like if I flip the light switch six times before I leave the house, no one's gonna break in today. And so that irrational paralysis, that irrational control actually gets 
very destructive. And those are two very different but equally harmful responses to fear. Now, I'm about to say a sentence that's very difficult. Don't get up and leave when I say it. Let me get all the way through this before you decide you don't want to hear this. But we have to understand that fear is a sin. It's a sin that's common to all human beings, but it is a sin. Over 365 times in the Bible, we're told not to fear. When we do anything that God says don't do, what's that called? Sin. But we also have to understand that it's a sin that's common to us because of the fall. There was no fear in the garden until Adam and Eve were disobedient to God. Fear and shame were the very things that were created by the first sin. They came in after that first sin. And if we have a relational view of sin instead of a behavioral one, then it's actually really clear that fear is in fact sin. Here's why. Fear is sin from a relational standpoint because it strains our relationship with God by causing us to question if God is really in control and if he is really good. Think about that. If fear is the belief that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart is in control, then fear is looking at God and saying, I am not sure that either A, you are in control, or B, that you are good. Which is why sin as a re relational issue makes it clear that fear falls into the category of sin. And so as we walk through David's response to Absalom taking his throne, in Psalm 3, I think it's going to become even more clear to you why, sin is, or why, why fear is a sin, but it's not a sin that we need to look at and lament over. It's one that we need to view as an invitation. And so it's a relational approach to, to the sin of fear rather than a behavioral approach that says something is wrong with me, I am bad, because I fear. And, and the last thing I want to tell you before we dive into this is I'm not trying to apply some simplistic spirituality to the issue of fear. I'm not saying that we just deny our feelings when we feel fear and just say, well, Jesus took my fear, so I'm never going to be afraid. That's not going to happen. Not in this world. There's, this world is a very scary place. We will experience fear. And, and when fear becomes anxiety, we need help. We need help from counselors and psychologists and even medication at times because we're trying to live in the kingdom of God now while we are still in a fallen world with fallen bodies, with fallen minds. Our fallen bodies and our fallen minds have fallen limitations. And that's why we cannot, in our own strength, overcome fear and things like anxiety alone. So we need help. We need help from a lot of sources at times. And God in his infinite grace and wisdom has given us resources and people to help us deal with our struggles in this life, whether they be things like anxiety or cancer or anything else that is happening to us because we are fallen people in a fallen place. And so finally, before we go into Psalm 3, I want you to know that I'm saying that faith, I'm not saying that faith 
is the only answer in this fallen world to fear. But I am saying it's the ultimate answer. There are other things that help us with fear in this world. But ultimately, it's faith that will resolve it. And here's why. Because I know that when we're standing before Jesus and our faith has become sight, none of us will experience any fear. And until then, we have to learn to participate and trust and practice trust in God in our presently fallen state and in this fallen world. So that's what we're going to do today in Psalm 3. Learn to practice trusting God in our fallen world as fallen people. So I'm sorry for the long introduction, but this is a topic I don't want anybody who's experienced the paralysis or fear or that is operating in the illusion of control that comes from fear. I don't want you to feel dismissed today. I don't want you to feel like I'm minimizing anything. And I certainly don't want to minimize your experience of fear. But we have to deal with topics like this with God's reality in our present context and not just ignore the fullness of his truth because it might make us uncomfortable. And so all that to say, we're gonna look at this from God's perspective and how do we bring that into our present state? So here we go. So God is, uh, Absalom is invading Jerusalem and David's afraid. He's so afraid he flees. And, and at some point after he's run off, he sits down, he picks up his psalmist pen and writes Psalm 3. And so if you remember, as we're following through this, look, walking through the Psalms, we're following this structure of the Psalms that is remember, rest, enjoy. The Psalms oftentimes have a three-part structure, remember, rest, enjoy. And so when we experience fear and we become paralyzed by it or we try to control everything, we should start where David started. And he started with remembering. So listen to verses one and two in Psalm 3. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Notice that David isn't minimizing or denying reality. There were many foes coming after him. Many people were rising against him and many of them were saying, look, God has abandoned him. Now's the time, let's go get him. And all of that was very much true and real. But, but David knew a deeper and more permanent and true reality. Listen to verse three. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So if fear is the belief that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart has control over me, then David remembered the reality that God is sovereign and God is good. He's always in control and he is working for David's best, which is only found in God. So think about David's words here for a minute. Absalom wanted to end David's life. David responds with, God is my shield. My life is protected whether you, Absalom, take it or not. Absalom wanted to take David's throne. David responds by remembering that his throne is not his glory, that God is. I lose nothing of my glory, Absalom, if you take my throne, because God is my glory. Absalom wanted to take David's peace by pursuing him. 
David remembers that it's not our present circumstances that overcomes fear, but God's presence in our circumstances. I can live from the inside out because God is with me, is what David is saying in these first three verses of Psalm 3. Simply put, David faces his fear by remembering what reality is. And it was very real and true that he had many foes and that he was in a dangerous situation. But I have a God who is greater than anything that would come against me. And if you want to live from the inside out when you face fear, remember that what is coming against you cannot harm you because of the one who stands for you. Anytime we face any fear, we must remember that to start with. What is coming against me cannot harm me because of the one who stands for me. And then we get to verses four and five. And David rests. Literally, he rests. He says this, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke up again for the Lord sustained me. David laid down and slept. He's being pursued. He's being chased. They're taking his throne. They're taking his possessions. They want to take his life. And he laid down and slept. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a sleepless night because of fear? Yeah. <laughs> There's two kinds of people in the room right now. Those of us that are saying, yes, we've had a sleepless night. And those of us that are lying about ever having a sleepless night. Because we've all had a sleepless night because of fear. And here's what happens, and here's what David's inviting us into. Remembering who I am and who God is is better than counting sheep or melatonin when I can't find sleep because of fear. It's exactly what David's saying. I don't need to count sheep. He would have been really good at that. I don't need to take a melatonin. I need to rest in remembering who God is and who I am. And so David sleeps, and then he wakes up, and in verse 6, he wakes up fearless. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Why did he wake up fearless? Because he woke up to God's reality, the ultimate reality. In God, I will not be afraid no matter how many come against me. And why won't David be afraid? Because even if they take his life, he is in God's sovereign protection and goodness. Even if they took his life, David knew that God is sovereign and God is in control. Now think about that. If fear is the belief that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart is in control of me, then David resolves that by knowing even if you kill me, you can't take me out of God's sovereignty and God's control. And so one thing I want to add before we move on to the section of joy in Psalm 3 is I know it's easy for us to look at David and go, yeah, well, well David was like the spiritual superhero. He's all over the Bible. Can I just tell you that if you believe that David was some moral giant, that you haven't read the life of David? He was a train wreck. He was a train wreck as a king. He was the kind of king whose own son would try to overthrow him. He was a train wreck as a father. He raised a son that actually sexually assaulted his own sister. 
He was a train wreck as a husband and oftentimes as a person. It wasn't his morality that had God pouring out grace and mercy on him. It was his heart set. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 13 in the synagogue at Antioch about David. In verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he, God, testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David was a man after God's own heart, who did all of God's will. And I have little doubt that David did do all that God willed him to do. But I also know that when I look at David's life, David also did a lot of his own will. It wasn't perfectly following God's will. His own will came up. And so here's what made David fruitful in the kingdom of God. It was his heart, not his perfection. Which should be good news for most of us in here. Because I can't make me perfect, but I can control my heart. I can point my heart at what I want to seek. But I got too much history to seek perfection anymore. That's out the window. It's gone. I don't have a chance at that. And so David was far from perfect, just like all of us are. But we need to address our hearts just like he did. And so the rest section of Psalm 3 is all about the heart set. And as we live from the inside out, remembering and resting in God instead of our fear, our hearts become more and more focused on God and our lives become more and more fruitful in the kingdom. And so after that rest, we finally come to joy in Psalm 3, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing on your people. David's joy is the end result of pressing into the reality of God instead of fear. See, if fear is the belief that someone or something that doesn't have my best interest at heart has control over me, then my question for all of you as people who have put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is this. When is it ever true of you that someone or something that does not have your best interest at heart has control over you? Really? When is that ever true of us? Never. It's never true. When we have placed our trust in God, it is never true that someone or something that doesn't want what's best for us is in control. Because God is good and God is sovereign. And we are His. Therefore, He is always in control. He always wants what's best for us. And He's always bringing that about. Do you see how that's the antidote to fear? to live in that reality. And see, that's what makes fear such an insidious sort of sin and a weapon that Satan tries to use. Because he lies to us and says, God is not in control. Or he lies to us and says, God is not good. You can't trust him. You gotta do it yourself. You wanna overcome fear? Make yourself safe. 
Be in control. Get what you want. Get what you need. Just do it yourself. Just be in control. Just ignore it. Just be paralyzed. We have to understand, fear is a sin. It's not a sin that puts our salvation in jeopardy per se, but it is a sin that robs us of living in the rest and the peace and the joy of God's present kingdom here and now. Because guess what? If Satan can't get your soul, he'll settle for your peace. And I know that talking about fear in this way is kind of a nuanced conversation, and there's so much more I can say about all this, but we, we just don't have time for that this morning because eventually you guys are going to get hungry and then there's a sting game at 2 o'clock, so we just can't go on indefinitely here. But if you feel the slightest little bit of judgment because you live with fear, or you feel that your fear is being dismissed this morning, we need to talk before you leave. I don't want anybody walking out of here feeling judged because they have the sin of fear. We all have it. It's just with us. It's part of living in a fallen world that is not safe for who God made us to be. We were never designed to live here. It's never going to be safe here. That's why when you get to Revelation, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That, that new heaven, that new earth that's coming is what we were actually designed to live in. We won't feel fear there, but we weren't designed to live here. We will feel fear. I just don't want anybody to feel judged or dismissed. Don't walk away. If fear is a struggle for you if, you, if you walk in anxiety, do not walk away today with a sense of judgment or dismissal. But here's the truth. If we've accepted Jesus, then God does not judge us based on our sin of fear anyway, does he? He judges us based on the righteousness of Christ once we've trusted Jesus and accepted his righteousness as our own. It is, however, very important to acknowledge fear as a relational sin if I'm seeking to live every breath in union with God. Because sin is an obstacle to living in constant union with God. Fear is an obstacle to living in constant union with God because fear subtly denies his sovereignty and his goodness even if I don't deny it with my words. It's living from a heart set that says, I'm not so sure that you're good in this moment. I'm not so sure that you're sovereign in this moment. Fear is welling up. I'm gonna trust this feeling more than I'm gonna trust you. And so what do we do with all this? Well, I wanna invite you into a practice of meditating on scripture this week. Now, what does it mean to meditate on scripture? It means to take one scripture and saturate yourself in it, to really go back to it, to ruminate over it, to read it and memorize it and let it become your breath. Spend time in, in one section of scripture or maybe even one verse and just say, I'm gonna let this settle deep into my heart and my mind and I'm gonna live out of it. Listen to this. It's a verse probably 99% of you know and you, you can probably recite it Better than I could from memory, but Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you see how this verse is a great reminder of God's reality, that he is good and he is sovereign? That's exactly what we need to remember to rest in and find joy in when we experience fear. 
The antidote to fear is remembering that God is good and sovereign. It's resting in that and then finding joy in the fact that I don't have to resolve this situation that's bringing me fear because of the one who stands with me in it. And so I was meditating on this verse recently and God showed me something that I want to invite you into as you meditated on this week. It was part of my morning reading uh, week before last and I, and I sat down and I got to be honest, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of those verses that kind of makes me cringe because I feel like it's been misconstrued and distorted so much by us in the church. Um, and so when it popped up on my daily reading for that day, I was like, oh my goodness, here we go. But I sat down, I started reading it and I pretty much didn't read anything after the first part. I read, for I know the plans I have for you. And I didn't read any further because as I read it, I realized that once I know God intimately in my daily life, that nothing after him knowing what plans he has for me really matters. It's resolved. And you see, as we become people who live fearlessly because God is sovereign and he's good, I don't really need to know that his plans for me are for my welfare and that they contain a hope and a future for me. I just sort of came to a place where I could say, Lord, if you know the plan, that's good enough for me. That's all I need to know is that you know. I don't need to know what the plan's gonna result in. I don't need to know how the plan's gonna be carried out. I don't need to know that, that there's prosperity and hope and future out there. I just need to know you, have, you, you know the plan. And so as you meditate on this verse over the next week or so, I'm going to invite you just to go as far as you need to in your present circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are in the moment, when you sit down and look at that, maybe he wants you to deeply grasp that he has a hope and a future for you. If that's the case, let your soul marinate in that part of the verse. Maybe he wants you to deeply know that his plan will not bring evil or harm to you. If that's the case, then let your soul just marinate in that truth. But as you meditate on Jeremiah 29, 11 over the next week or so, and you let your, mar your soul marinate in that truth, I want you to do this. Make it your goal to become a you know and that is enough for me type of Christian. As you sit in that truth and that reality, as you face fear in your day-to-day -day life, approach this verse with the desire to become the type of Christian that can say, Lord, if you know, that's enough for me. Do you see how that wipes away every fear that we can face? When our hearts and our minds are settled in that truth and that reality, that's living in freedom from fear, from the inside out. That's a reality that presses so deep and so far into my soul that my heart and my mind can say, Lord, I know these circumstances are yelling at me that someone or something that does not have my best interest at heart is in control right now. But I know this. I know that you know the plan you have for me. And because I know you're good and because I know you're sovereign, let whatever comes, come. And I will not be afraid. That's what David did. As he fled, as he ran away, it's important to note that when we talk about overcoming fear, we're not talking about overcoming fear with stupidity. We're not talking about walking into situations that we know 
are more than we can handle and standing in them. David came to the realization that he could remember who God was, he could rest in him, and he could find joy as he ran away. Sometimes God in his sovereignty says, nope, I don't want you in this situation. I don't believe that God wanted David in the situation of facing rebellion from his son. I believe that David's poor management and poor politics and poor relationships with his family put David in that situation. God still saved him from it, even though David put himself in it. But I gotta believe if he would have been a little bit better of a father, maybe he wouldn't have raised two sons who could do these kinds of things. I gotta believe that Maybe if he would have attended a little more to God's will in his life instead of having those moments where he said, but this is what I want. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. And the other thing I know about fear is this. I know that for a lot of us in the church, the biggest fear we have is for our loved ones in eternity. We have to address that fear. Whether it's a child or a parent or someone close to you, And you look at their lives and you think, man, I'm not so sure that they're under God's sovereign mercy and grace. I'm not so sure that they're under his control. Can I just say this? That if God knows the plan he has for you, then he knows the plan he has for them as well. And so our response when this fear rises up around the the final, eternal, spiritual destination of those we love, the only response we can have is to go to God in prayer and hand those loved ones off. Lower them the way those friends lowered that paralyzed man to Jesus through the roof and say, I'm gonna put them before you, Lord. I'm gonna dig a hole in the roof and I'm gonna lower them over and over and over again in prayer. If I trust that you are sovereign and you are good, then I don't have to fear what lays in their future. I can hand them off. If you know the plans you have for me, you know the plans you have for them. And so I'll engage that plan. I'll participate with your plan through prayer. Again, fear is an insidious sin because it's so common we like to dismiss it as sin. But more importantly, it leads us to a place where either we become exhausted in trying to control everything or we become paralyzed because we don't know what to do. Well, the reality is this week, as you face fear that's gonna come up in your life, because we all have it at different times, go to Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, I'm gonna sit in this verse and I'm gonna let this truth do a work on me and I'm gonna try to become the kind of Christian who can say, if you know, that's enough. And I don't need to know anything else. Father, we're so grateful for the life of David, even in his failings and flaws. And who are we to judge that, right, Lord? He, he was just like us. And Lord, we know that even in all of his failings and his flaws, that you said, no, this is a man after my own heart. And God, I pray that that's what we become at Temple. We become a people after your own heart so that no matter what happens in our lives, we always have that path back to you. We always have a way to come back into you, that you'll be glorified, 
that we can live in constant remembrance of who you are, that we can constantly rest in the knowledge of ourselves and you and your desire for us to to experience your goodness and the fact that you're sovereign, and that we can live out a joy that just says, because you are who you are, we are free to live like children with just excitement and joy at everything you do. And so God, we just ask that, that that becomes our heart set, that becomes the, the air we breathe in our daily lives. Turn our hearts to you so that you can look at us and say, as you said to David, these are people after my own heart and they will do my will. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, amen.